a man. And I think he's telling them, don't you see, he's just a man. I have just, in my authority, I have just had him scourged and bleed, bleeding. We could have killed him. We could have done anything. When I am the authority here, isn't this enough? Just let him go. He's just a man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus saith, and Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I want to stop here again. I see the Jewish people here, the Jewish leaders, I should say. They had been offered the greatest, the most powerful, the most beautiful that could ever be offered the human family. It was their creator, God. And he came to them and he came for them. He said that. And they rejected him. There is nothing in this world that will compare with total, total, absolute, eternal failure than to reject the Son of God. And so we have here people who totally reject him who should have received him. The second group of people we see here is a man by the name of Pilate, and he represents all the authority and power of the whole world. He represents Rome. He represents the Gentiles. He represents the human race that are not Gentiles. And he would like to appease this man just in case he is who he thinks he might be. And so... He tries to appease everybody. Uh, don't you see he's just a man? Let's just let him go. I'm, I'm going to back off. And because their hatred is so deep, they say no. So now, representing the entire human race, he has to do something. He either has to take a stand or he has to compromise. And guess where he compromises? He compromises in order to save his own neck. He's saving himself before Caesar. He's saving himself before the entire world. And he says, okay, go ahead, crucify him. Let's read on. And the Jews answered him, seventh verse, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Why was Pilate afraid? Because the ultimate power in his life was not God. It was Rome. It was Caesar. He had another final authority. And so if he at all does anything to violate what his authority is, he puts himself at risk. This is what happens when God, the real creator God, is not our authority. We will begin to protect ourselves. We must believe that he is God. And so Pilate, because he's superstitious, as the Romans were, and because he didn't know what to do with all this to get himself out of this terrible mess he's in, it says he was afraid. I thought he was the power. I thought he had the authority. And now he's afraid. I'm telling you, when mankind comes face to face with the living God, there is something that is quickened in their heart that happens, and they must make a choice. Hallelujah, that choice is still available. 
But the ninth verse is what I wanted this morning. And they went again into the judgment hall, and this is Pilate, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where'd you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Really? Of all the things, there were other times he didn't answer. It was before Herod, when Herod wanted him to be an entertainment. and that's, I understand that. But why here? Jesus, why didn't you answer him? You know why? I think it's because he loved you and me. Because if he would have answered, it would have been the authority and the power of heaven. And it would have stopped the crucifixion. But instead of that, he does not answer. Because he loves us. Instead of exerting his power and authority. What a savior. I think there's all kinds of lessons that are here, little sub-lessons. Just because we have the ability, just because we have the resources, just because we have the power, the authority, or whatever, there are times to not use it for the salvation of souls. And our Lord did that for you and me. What a Savior. What a Savior. And he gave him no answer. Can you believe that? When he could have. I'm going to ask Brother Rod Long to have the prayer in a little bit. I'm going to ask for any prayer requests, any praise reports, anything else that you feel is on your heart this morning before we go to prayer. Brother Dave, I'm going to ask you, just can you tell us anything about what's happening in Haiti, what's going on? Thank you, Dave. 
What else do we have? Yes, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Pray for Jeff with a massive stroke, okay? Thank you. Yes, Dan. Is what now? Paisley. Okay, three months old with breathing problems. Okay. Pray for her. Thank you. Yes. Marsha Miller in the hospital with COVID. Thank you, Karen. Let's go to prayer.
number 225. Number 225. Especially appreciative this morning of our visitors, and uh, I just wanted to introduce our speaker for your sake, uh, Brother Ken and Sister um, <laughs> Melissa. I'm sorry, Brock uh, from Pleasant Ridge Congregation, and uh, just want hope you'll give him a full attention, and the Lord would bless our worship. Morning. I uh, intend to give my testimony this morning 
It's one of those things that I don't normally do if not asked to do. And, uh, but this time a few weeks ago, I was just kind of feeling a little more of a tug, maybe, uh, that maybe I should, and, uh, but wasn't sure and just prayed that maybe the Lord would kind of nudge me if that was his desire, and then I did get a phone call that kind of nudged me a little bit in that direction, so that's uh, the plan this morning. Um, for those of you that have been in the congregation a while, actually, Melissa and I, we looked it up because then when I was thinking about giving, I thought, well, it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago since we were there and gave our testimony, and uh, it was 11 years ago, and we kind of did a joint one, <laughs> Melissa and I, together. Um, so uh, if you feel led, you can add to it or uh, correct me on anything. Um, I know, so some of you have heard a lot of this before. I know well, Dave and Becky from our congregation are here, and I don't recall that we've ever given our full testimony at the congregation, but I'm sure most of our congregation has heard it in bits and pieces over the years. I was the uh, youngest of four children. I grew up in western Ohio, just up here. I was born in Lima, um, not too far away. When... Uh, I was young, I was five, my dad passed away, had a heart attack, um, and uh, my, no, my mom never remarried, so she, she uh, did a good job of raising the rest of us alone. She was uh, um, a good moral person, took us to church, we went to a Methodist church, but we anything about God would just be at church. It would not, we would not discuss anything about God at home. Um, it just kind of stayed there at church. I had uh, actually read a lot of the Bible when I was about 10. I just thought it was something I should do as kind of somewhat of a responsibility. Um, thought it was probably good that I would, but uh, a lot of that didn't really sink in at the time or, or take hold. To me, in school and and uh, through uh, watch a lot of television, I was taught you know old Earth, everything like that, that the Earth was billions of years old. Um, all life on Earth, uh, including people, were a product of of uh, long ages of, of evolution. Um, my mom believed all that as well. My friends believed all that. Kind of everybody that I was around, that was just what we were taught. What we believed. As I uh, grew into my teens, I started to a little bit kind of resent a little bit of the church um, that we were going to. Just I, I saw it as, and all churches have this, I mean, I have this, and me too, um, but I saw hypocrisy in the church where, you know, people would kind of put on one face on Sunday and then you'd see them during the week and they'd be kind of a different person. And uh, I, I didn't want that. I didn't like that. Um, I didn't want, I saw that as just kind of fake and uh, didn't really, I didn't want to live that way and, and uh, didn't want to really take part in that. Um, so that uh, uh, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. I really just, really just wanted the truth and, and to be real. And I also began uh, questioning God or the existence of God at that time. Um, 
kind of two main things. One, my, you know, I've been taught old earth evolution, so, you know, kind of no, uh, no God in that picture. Um, and then also, I had a question of, you know, if God is, is loving God like I hear about preached, why would this be here? Why would the, the state of the, the world be in the state that it's in? in uh, such a bad shape, I guess. Why would that be if we had a loving God? Um, I didn't see that, I didn't understand that at the time, I guess, as a result of man's sin and the things that come from that. I saw that as more attributed uh, to God. And so I really began questioning the existence of God at that time. And then somewhere in my, somewhere in there in my mid-teens, I would have become what you know you would call an atheist and I didn't it's not that I you know sometimes in a church culture you get this you hear that word or hear somebody labeled as an atheist and you think oh you know they're like just an evil evil person and uh, it's it's not the sense that I didn't hate Christians or anything like that um, I just thought they didn't they didn't know the truth they didn't know um, or what they believed was just wrong for whatever reason. Either they, uh, you know, hadn't been taught the truth like I had or hadn't really thought things through or they ignored the truth or, or maybe they clung to blind faith that, like they just wanted to believe that was true. In uh, college, I ended up going into uh, a geology and the school I went to was one of the many that taught, you know, secular, more secular ideas, just kind of reinforced what I had already believed, what I had already been taught when I was younger. Um, so my beliefs on that were kind of strengthened further. A couple of years into college, I met a really cute girl and uh, found that, that um, I enjoyed talking to her a lot, and she shared a lot of... Uh, her ideas and they matched or very very close to my beliefs, my thoughts. And uh, we hit it off and I found out she was an atheist too. She had been raised in a similar kind of home environment uh, growing up as I, as I had been. And uh, Melissa had been raised also in a Methodist church. And her mom, um, uh, also didn't talk to her so much about God, but her dad would talk to her. Her dad would talk, but her dad was an atheist. Um, and so I think he had more of an influence on her at that time. And then within a few years, we, we were married and just enjoying life. Um, we enjoyed some of the, the common, I guess, um, vices of uh, smoking and drinking and pornography. And uh, about that time, I remember telling people, or telling, excuse me, telling Melissa that basically something like, you know, it's a shame that people believe in God because they're so busy. They're so busy with work. Um, you know, they're working all week long, don't have time for their families. They finally, you know, maybe could have a little time off on the weekend. Uh, and then they go to church to worship a God that isn't real. Within a few years, we had our first child, Maddie. 
as Maddie approached a year old, we, were both, we both started thinking about actually going to church uh, as atheists, um, but kind of for the wrong reasons. Melissa remembered kind of when she was growing up a lot of social interaction with people, a lot of social events, things like that. It was just fun. And uh, um, to be engaged in that with our family, our, our child, I was thinking more along the lines of, I know what I believe, but I should probably raise our child to have the other side as well, some understanding so that she can make her own choice someday. And uh, <laughs> I told Melissa near that time, I said, when we were trying to figure that out, you know, whether we were actually going to go to church or not, I remember telling her that, just so you know, you know, I've thought through my beliefs, I understand what I believe, I'm not going to change. I'll go, you know, for the sake of our daughter, I'll go to church as she's growing up, but I'm not going to change, so don't be looking for that in me. And it was interesting when we first went to church, uh, Melissa told a woman there at church that, that we were atheists, I think you had said that to her. And uh, we weren't there to worship God. <laughs> What's the point? Um, uh, we were just there to teach our child morals. And uh, the woman said she didn't care why we were there. She was just glad we came. About this time, a, a Christian man at Melissa's work was starting to talk to her about things of God. They wouldn't talk about the news of world events, or excuse me, they would talk about the news of world events, and, and he would give her his perspective, kind of conclusion about it. And at first he thought he was kind of out there a bit on, you know, what he thought, or his interpretation of, or ideas about kind of the news. And, uh, but uh, as time went on, she started thinking, you know, he, he kind of makes more sense than I, my thoughts. And uh, so he started having an effect on, on the way she was thinking there. And uh, at some point after starting to attend, we went to a Methodist church there, um, since that's kind of what we were raised in a bit. After, it was a different church than either of us were raised, but it was a Methodist church. Um, but at some point after starting to go there, Melissa realized that that God was real and that uh, she needed to repent and be forgiven and be accepted by the Lord. And then she, after doing that, then she had another quandary is, what about me? Now she's living with an atheist man as a believer. She... Uh, started trying to live a life more like God's word called a wife too and would uh, periodically try to tell me or show me something out of scripture but not be too forceful just you know little bits a little bit at a time and I noticed the difference in her and that uh I can't remember how much time, it wasn't a whole lot of time that passed there, but at some point, somehow God got me to open his word.
to start to read it. And pretty much right away, I knew it was the truth. I knew what I had believed, but I just knew this was the truth. I had always loved the truth, but previously I didn't understand that, that this was the truth. That the Lord's word, God's word, is the truth. And so very soon I realized that I also needed to repent and accept the Lord. We uh, continued going to that Methodist church for a few years and, and grew in the Lord. And uh, in that time, we also had a second child. Um, and uh, Melissa, near that time, heard and kind of answered the God's call to stay at home and raise our children. There were some things as kind of a few years went by there that, that uh, we started seeing in the church that bothered us there in that church we were attending. As we learned more of the word, we came to realize that the goodness of God was being preached. It's true. I mean, the goodness of God is being preached, but there was really no talking of sin, uh, no presentation of that from the pulpit. And uh, we actually eventually talked to the pastor about that, and he said he had preached on, on topics like uh, adultery and divorce before, but then he got a lot of kind of flack um, from some in the congregation uh, about, doing, or about speaking on those things, and he got you know, nasty comments and uh, even saying something like, you know, if you want to keep your job, you won't talk about that. And about that time, we also had some issues. We were living kind of in town, and we'd always grown up just living in town, and uh, we had issues, a few issues with neighbors, kind of with the children specifically, and we just thought, well, I don't know, if we moved someplace else in town, we may just have the same, you know, same issues, so we considered moving to the country. And uh, at that time also, with, with how we were thinking about the church, we thought, you know, it wouldn't necessarily need to be a Methodist church, really. We, we just should really look for a Bible uh, teaching and believing church. So we uh, did that. We moved, kind of moved out in the country toward Melissa's family. Uh, they live, you know, west of where we lived before, kind of moved out that way. And uh, we tried various different uh, churches, um, just kind of shop around a little bit and see what, see what was out there. Um, we ended up settling uh, in a non-denominational church for a while, um, which was, uh, I think, just part of where God would have us and to grow. And the, the full word was, was preached there. We enjoyed that because we hadn't had that at the, the Methodist church. But at the same time, it didn't seem like, um, while the teaching was good, the, the lives of the people weren't necessarily growing. It didn't appear uh, in that direction. I mean, obviously, no, no congregation is going to be perfect in that sense, but um, uh, there should be a striving for um, application of the Bible in, in lives. And we, it seemed like they lacked that some. Um, we then tried a, a Baptist church for a while. 
and uh, that that was closer to our beliefs. That um, was uh, people seemed to be much more, you know, not only teaching the word but trying to apply it um, in their lives. Um, but there, eventually, we as time went on, we we're there about six months or so. But there's a few things that kind of emerged there that we didn't uh, totally um, agree with either. First was going to war. We just I thought that was you know kind of obvious from what the scripture talks about um, that that uh, scripture oppose would oppose that. And secondly, um, uh, we started Melissa started wearing head covering even though the church didn't teach that. Um, there at all. We had looked at that issue for quite some time because that's not something you just do, you know, uh, on the spot if you're, uh, you know, from the world and that that's going to stand out a lot to anyone and uh, so you don't just hop into that change. You We analyze that one uh, very well before doing that and uh, I had talked to the, or wrote letters to the pastor there just trying to see what his take on all that was and he basically said well that was for a time and a place and uh, but not now and and uh, you know I thought well if that's true you know how do you decipher from scripture here in the New Testament where do you draw the line with that because you could write off the whole New Testament just about um, by uh, saying there was a time and a place for a lot of these things um, we uh, had actually visited West Fulton, uh, one of the Dunkard churches in northern Ohio. Um, it was one of the ones we had visited, I think, before we went to the Baptist church, maybe. And uh, people were very nice and welcoming, um, but that didn't really kind of seem like us at the time when we first went there. Um, and uh, But then after six months or so at the Baptist, we thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe we'll give that one a try again. And... Uh, we went back and really enjoyed it, but they, at the, that time, it's different now, but at that time they didn't really have much youth, uh, which we were really wanting because we were growing a family and, and uh, um, we, that was pretty important to us. But found out about the other Dunkin' Church up that way, Pleasant Ridge at that time, and we oops, uh, went and checked that out. And they had a big youth group at the time, and uh, so that was attractive to us. Um, and... Uh, what I also thought was neat about that, too, or just when I see that in our churches a lot of times, is that there's, there's the youth are, are there. Um, a lot of times in other denominations, sometimes we would see no youth there. Like, in other words, once they get to whatever, 16, 18, 20, they're, you know, they don't come. They're not part of the church. And uh, having the youth in, you know, together... Um, with the, the whole congregation. They're part of the congregation. I mean, um, they're part of the body. Uh, and so um, to have them together was very important. It speaks, kind of spoke volumes to us. And uh, we started to settle in with Pleasant Ridge uh, for a while. And the previous two churches, both the non-denominational one and the Baptist one, we'd been at about six months, um, you know, until we figured out, you know, that wasn't maybe where we wanted to stay. And we're getting to that kind of mark with uh, Pleasant Ridge um, being there that long. And uh, we were thinking about staying more permanently. We weren't, weren't shopping for anything else at that time. However, those old vices of uh, smoking and drinking and uh, pornography were at some issue. 
sometime in the first years after accepting the Lord, we had done pretty good with kind of setting aside uh, the pornography. Um, Melissa had set aside the alcohol, and she struggled with setting aside the smoking, uh, but was winning that battle. I had a pretty, actually, easy time setting aside the smoking. I never did cigarettes. It was always cigars, pipes, um, kind of more of a, I don't know, aesthetic thing uh, to relax. Um, uh, but I was having a very hard time setting aside the alcohol. I, and I had re- prayed repeatedly about this. I didn't want to have this problem. I, know, I knew, understood that the Lord didn't want me to have this, um, and I didn't either. Um, but I really, at the same time, I enjoyed it very much. Um, so it was one of those things. If you've prayed, you know, it's, it's almost kind of humorous sometimes when you look back at some things uh, that maybe the Lord has delivered you from. And uh, when you look at your prayer, you're really much enjoying something. But you pray, Lord, take that away or make me not enjoy it. It's in hindsight, sometimes it's, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, but anyway, I was having a lot of difficulty. I, didn't, I wasn't seeing like any progress uh, in this. And uh, I also didn't want to drink, and, you know, especially because Melissa had, had stopped drinking, and I didn't want to continue this. I didn't want the kids to see it. I didn't want her to see it. So I was hiding it. I was hiding alcohol in the house. Various, she didn't know this till after the problem was resolved. Um, but uh, I had a couple different hiding spots, both in the house and in the barn. Um, I would drink on the way home from work. I knew that was totally illegal, um, but I would do it. Um, and uh, I, I just couldn't imagine uh, going really like two, even two or three days without a drink. Um, but I couldn't shake it. I kept praying about it, and I didn't seem to be getting anywhere with it. But I also knew, you know, if we don't join this church, it's because of me. I didn't want to stand in the way of my whole family joining a church because of something, because of my lust for something. So I figured I'm just going to have to live with it somehow. I'm just going to have to get through this somehow. But I'd always have a desire for it. I'd always be fighting that desire for it. And uh, we had, if for those of you who have been in the church a while, and if you're looking at you know, becoming a member, and, and usually you have a um, minister elder come over and sit down and talk to you about you know, what you're doing, actually what you're you know. Um, in joining the church and Dennis St. John if some of you know him we uh, talked and sat down with him and had discussion and everything was you know fine and dandy and then we get toward the end and then and I said there's one more thing and Melissa I think about was about ready to melt and uh, I said I'm I don't know if I said I'm an alcoholic or not I don't remember if I how I phrased that but I said I I drink I said I don't want to but I do and uh, I think I kind of took him off guard a little bit there. Uh, but we, we got through that discussion, and we decided to move ahead and be baptized and join the church. And so we did. We were baptized. 
then a few days later, probably only a day or two, went over to Melissa's mom's house. And at, uh, at her mom's house, it was always, I mean, she was very friendly, very welcoming. It was always kind of a center for family things. And, but there was alcohol, you know, in the kitchen, in the garage, um, wherever. And you could have as much as you want. You know, she'd always just buy more, no problem. And uh, we uh, were coming up. We had gotten out in the driveway and we were coming up. And uh, her mom was bringing out, and she never did this, was uh, bringing out. And that was another thing about alcohol. It, I like the color of it, to see that in a glass. I usually like to see that was kind of attraction, too. But she was bringing out in a glass, um, clear glass, uh, cold beer with ice in it. And she was like holding it out to me. I mean, as we walked up the driveway, she never did that. And uh, I looked at it and I saw it and I didn't want it. And I knew that you know, a couple days ago I would have. The Lord had taken away my desire for it. And that's been 19 years ago. And I've had not had a desire since. Since that time, we've had struggles here and there and continue to. But through God's grace, he continues to grow us and mold us. I have not had total victory in all areas of life, but for my problems with alcohol, the Lord chose to give me victory. I don't know if it's that he just knew I, you know, I didn't stand a chance unless he intervened. I don't know. I'm not sure. I know that doesn't always happen. I mean, or when God chooses to do things, for us it was when we chose to be baptized. But I know in various people, there's other times. It, it doesn't, it's not always then. It can be other things. Sometimes, you know, the struggle can go on most of a lifetime. The power of God and the power of his word. It's able to change people. Able to change hearts. If you would turn with me to Hebrews 4. Verse 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Don't underestimate the power of the word of God. It's powerful. It says here it's powerful and it's sharp to divide between soul and spirit. 
for your life, for the lives of people around you, for all people. You know, some say this book we have on our laps is just a book. It is a book, but it's far more than a book. No book like this on earth has the power that this book has. To change the lives of people forever. You know, some people are amazed by, you know, whatever, big engines, things that have a lot of power, powerful weapons. You hold the most powerful weapon in your hands. In your heart. It's not a weapon of destruction, but a a weapon against the enemy. A weapon for life. A weapon for edification. You know, there's so much confusion in the world today. And they say that there's kind of three basic questions that a lot of people ask. I mean, maybe not say out loud, but in their lives when they're looking, trying to figure out life that there's kind of three basic questions that the people are, are searching for, searching for the answer to or, or asking. And that is, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? Again, people may not, you know, they may not ask you that question or they may not talk to you in that way, but in their heart and mind, a lot of people are searching I'm trying to figure out what life is. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? The secular world thinks they have to answer those questions. To the, to the uh, question of who am I, the secular world says, you're the product of evolution. You're nothing special. You're just a product of chance. To the question of why am I here, they would say there's no real particular reason that you are here other than coincidence. You don't have a purpose other than, you know, perhaps to pass on your genes to other creatures. To the question of where am I going, they would say you are the ruler of your domain for as long as you live. After that, there's nothing. You cease to exist. You are temporary. And you know what? Those answers are totally wrong. That's what so many people are taught, are the answers to the questions around the world, but those are all wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the right answers to those questions. Who am I? You are a special creation of God. God loves you. You are a child of the King. That's a different answer than what the world will give you. Why am I here? God created you for a special purpose. Not only for a special purpose here on earth, but he is now working through that special purpose with you, shaping you and preparing you to be with him in eternity. Where am I going? For now, going forward, God has called you to kingdom work, and after this, God will call you to kingdom rest. To give glory to God forever in heaven. Are those hopeful answers? Oh yeah. Are they blind faith answers? No. 
Not at all. The word is the truth. It's not just what we want to believe. It's the truth. Let me tell you from someone. I did not seek this because I wanted to believe it. I saw it as the truth, and that's what I wanted. Andrei Sakharov was a nuclear physicist in the Soviet Union and became known as the father of the hydrogen bomb. Years later, however, Andrei said this, I've always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb, and that is why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb, it's the truth. Growing up in a church culture, if you've grown up in a church culture, you probably don't grasp the value of the truth that you already have, that many people maybe seek their whole lives and never find. We can take it for granted, I understand that, but it has tremendous value and eternal value and we can share it with those around us. Just want to read one last thing in John 8. John 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We're told here to continue for those that believe in him, to continue in his word. Continue growing in his word. Continue studying it, knowing it, loving it. And he says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's a lot of people out there that are in bondage. Lots. We hold, again, the solution, and it's in the truth, to that bondage. They're in bondage to sin, bondage to Satan. But what did we read? That the word is powerful and able to break through that bondage and make us free. May we continue in his word and share it with others. What a precious Lord we have that he shared that with us, you know, if you think about that. Again, he didn't have to do that, but out of his love he has revealed himself to us. Precious Lord, let's come in a word of prayer. Thank you.